King Nebuchadnezzar built a 90-foot statue of himself, and he decreed that all must bow down and worship him. And so he gathered all of the government officials, and he gathered them on the plains of Dura. And then when the band played, they were all to bow down and worship this statue. Scholars estimate that there were somewhere around a million people gathered on the plain. And when the music came to a crescendo, they all bowed except for three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their courage and their faith was unbelievable to stand for God in that setting, for believing and living out their conviction that God alone was worthy of worship. Well, there were some government officials there that were a little jealous of these three Hebrew men, and they saw this as a wonderful opportunity to rid the world of these men. So they turned them into the king, and the king is furious. King Nebuchadnezzar calls the men in, and he gives them one more chance to bow down, or he's going to throw them into a fiery furnace and turn them to ashes. And so Nebuchadnezzar cues the music, and once again, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to bow. And it's at this point that they utter one of the most amazing testimonies of faith in the Bible. In the presence of the king, with the furnace roaring off to the side, they say to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. For if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And that was kind of the mic drop that we, we ended with last week. But we spent a lot of time looking at this story and this declaration of faith. So if you missed that, go back and listen, it, listen to it. But these three men, we said, had, had three beliefs. Uh, and their beliefs were that God was able to rescue them, that he was bigger than this massive problem they faced, and they believed that God was better even if he chose not to rescue them. We said that courage believes not only that God is bigger than the challenge, bigger than the opposition, but God is also better than the alternatives. They believed that God was better than the alternatives of this world. They believed that standing for God was better than living and bowing down before Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see that courage, that that courage gave them a platform and allowed them to shine for God's glory. So that's the setting, that is the stage as we get to the latter half of Daniel 3 today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have said they're not bowing before the king. Uh, They will only bow before their God. The king is enraged by this. He sees this as treason, and he is going to rid them from the earth. He's been embarrassed before his officials, before a million people watching this unfold. And the world says to us, just bow, just save your life. But their conviction is that God alone is God, and he alone is worthy of their worship and praise. So we're in Daniel 3, and we're going to start in verse 16. It reads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So you get the sense when the king called these men in that he believed that there just must have been a misunderstanding. These men seemed to have favor with the king, but when they refuse to bow in his presence, he loses it. He is furious and he's going to ensure that these men die and they die quickly. 
He is done with them and the troubles they have caused them. So he heats the furnace seven times hotter. I mean, hot is hot, so I'm not quite sure what good this does, but it shows the rage that Nebuchadnezzar is filled with. He has them bound to ensure there is no escape here. Verse 21, so these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So this furnace is so hot that the men tasked with throwing them into the furnace are instantly consumed when they come near the door. There was no way anyone was surviving this furnace. They would be cremated in moments. And so their courage, their stand, had led them to the furnace, and in they go bound with seemingly no hope. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So Nebuchadnezzar leaps out of his seat. That's quite an image. These men should have been killed before they hit the ground in the furnace, and yet here they are walking around. There are extra-biblical traditions that say these men were singing from the furnace, and that's what got the king's attention. We don't know if that went down or not, but what an image it provides. It brings up images of Acts 16 and Paul and Silas singing the Philippian jail. These men did not only survive the fire, but they are thriving in the fire. They were at peace, and they were enveloped by the presence of God within the furnace. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So these three men, they didn't just survive with third-degree burns, but they were completely untouched by the fire. They didn't even smell of fire. This illustrates the complete and total protection of God for these men. The world could do nothing to them. The king could do nothing to them. The fire could do nothing to them without God's God's permission. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles or rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this just amazing story of courage and faith that we see in these men. God, we thank, thank you that you are greater and you are able to rescue. Lord, we thank you that nothing, not a hair on our head is singed without your permission. God, we thank you for your, uh, just for who you are, for, for, for your strength and for your might, Lord. We thank you that you are worthy of our worship. And God, I pray that as we walk through this passage, Lord, that you would uh, just open our hearts and our minds what you have for us today, Lord, that we would see that you are worthy of our worship, Lord, that we would see that you are able and that you are present 
uh, in all that we go through, Lord. And God, that we would see that everything, every furnace, every trial, every good day and every bad day is an opportunity for us to shine for you uh, in this world. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, the first thing, our first point, the first thing I want us to see today is that furnaces are opportunities to shine in this world. We have said that as Christians, it is our call, our mission to shine for Jesus in this world, to point people to him with the way we live and what we share. And what we see here is that furnaces are, 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 not, only, are not only always opportunities to shine for Jesus, but furnaces are often our greatest opportunities to shine for Jesus in this world. This does not mean that God will always rescue us from the furnace, but he will always use the furnace for his good and for our good and his glory. We see that in Romans 8, 28, in which God promises to use all things for the good of those who follow him. Furnaces are always an opportunity to shine in this world. We see that in this passage. The furnace, the trial, the challenge gave these men an opportunity to shine before the king, to shine before the million people gathered. And because of the furnace, all of those gathered saw their conviction and also the power of their God on display. The king saw this and he was challenged and he left thinking and reevaluating his life. We're going to see in a couple weeks he wasn't ready to make God Lord, but we will get there. But the furnace gave them an incredible platform, an opportunity to shine in Babylon. In the same way, the furnaces, the challenges, the trials, the pains, the heartbreak we experience in this life are always opportunities to shine in this world. Sometimes God will provide in miraculous ways as he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And sometimes he will allow us to succumb to the furnace with peace, confidence, and grace that shines in a world where people are searching for something more, where they are searching for hope in the future. God can absolutely deliver us from the trial, or he can miraculously sustain and strengthen us in the midst of the trial. Both proclaim to the world the power the peace, and the greatness of God. An English martyr who was burned at the stake said, O ye Papist, behold, you looked for miracles. Here now you may see a miracle. For in this fire I feel no more pain than as if I were in a bed of down. But it is to me as a bed of roses. When the health crisis comes, God can miraculously heal and receive glory through that, or he could sustain you within the health crisis with a peace a confidence, a hope, a future that defies the world's understanding and leads them to ask how and why. How and why do you have joy and hope in the midst of this? God can miraculously cure the cancer. He can sustain you and allow you to die with a hope, a confidence, a future, and a joy that defies this world. There's perhaps no greater testimony to the gospel than a Christian who dies well with joy and confidence in their future. In this world, death is our greatest enemy. It is our greatest fear. And when someone can come to that point with confidence and joy, they are shining like stars in this world of darkness. I've told this story before, but my grandfather died like this, and multiple of his grandchildren came to faith by watching him in the furnace. God can, God can provide for your financial struggles with the, the death of the rich uncle or a generous gift in the mail. But often he provides uh, in the struggle by sustaining you as you work to get your finances under control. He can miraculously keep that 30-year-old truck running as you uh, try to get your finances under, under control. And in that, people will see you shining. They will see there is something different about you. And it provides the opportunity to point to a God that is worth so much more than the temporary things of this world. 
furnaces, challenges, trials in this world are always an opportunity to shine for God's glory. Sometimes he may rescue and provide in miraculous ways, but even if he chooses not to, he will sustain, he will provide what you need, and he will use it for his glory. And when we all face that furnace, that diagnosis, that challenge that will end our time here on earth, he will take our last breath and use it for his glory. And he will use that last breath to deliver his followers to heaven to a future that is greater than we can comprehend. A future in which we understand and know him at a deeper level. Where we will experience peace and satisfaction beyond our greatest imagination. A future where there will be no more furnaces, no more tears, no more disappointments, and no more heartaches. God takes the greatest furnace and he uses it for his glory and our good. All furnaces are opportunities to shine for Jesus in this world. And he will ultimately use them for our good. The second thing I want us to see in this passage is the greatest comfort we receive during the storms, during the furnaces, during the trials of life. And that comfort is this, and the point is this, I can shine in the furnace because God is with me. And I know for the English teachers here, it's frustrating because I changed tenses, but I changed the tense to I because this is the point I want you to know and feel the most. Look at verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his faith, uh, to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, there are different theories and opinions on who this fourth person was walking with them in the furnace. But the reality and the real point is that God's presence was there with them in the furnace with them in the storm. Some theorize that this was an angel. Others theorize that it was as Jesus himself. There are other times in the Old Testament where Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, appears. And so that's very much a reasonable explanation. But again, the overarching principle is that the presence of God was with them in the furnace. And living on this side of the cross as Christians, we don't ever have to doubt God's presence in our lives. The New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit literally indwells us as followers. So the presence of God is with us always. We can walk through the trials, the furnaces, the difficult days of this life because God is with us if we are his followers. Perhaps no passage of scripture brings this to life better than Psalm 23. In this famous passage, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We spent a lot of time on this passage back in the summer, so we're not going to break it down. But for David, as he walked through the darkest valley, as he walked through the furnace, his comfort, his provision, his protection, his confidence, his future was dependent on the reality that you, God, are with me. Even in the greatest trials of this life, God is with David, and he is with us as his followers. So when we walk through the furnace, walk through the trial, walk through the diagnosis, we can do so with confidence and peace because the God of the universe, who is good, 
and who loves us is with us. So I don't know what dark valley or what your furnace is right now, but know that if you are a follower of Jesus, then God is with you. He loves you. He is your source of comfort and provision. So as you walk through that dark valley, lean on him and find your confidence and your peace in him alone. And if you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, then know that Jesus loves you and he offers you the same confidence and forgiveness to you today. If you will turn and follow after him, he will forgive and he will promise to be with you. Jesus loves you so much, the Bible says that he died for you and he longs for you to repent or turn and follow after him. And the Bible promises that if you do that, you will be forgiven. You will experience eternal life. You will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God will indwell you and be with you all the days of your life. His life, his forgiveness, his comfort, his peace is available to all that will turn and follow after him. There's a popular poem out there that I'm sure you've heard some version of or seen some version of on a meme, uh, but it helps bring this truth to life for me. This poem is not in the Bible, uh, but it does help us to see with our mind's eye this truth of God's presence, that he is always with us, even in the storms and the furnaces. The poem goes, one night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. For this really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, that when I needed you most, you would leave me. He whispered back, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Now, again, that's not in the Bible, but it helps to illustrate the truth that God is with us always. And he is always with us in the midst of the furnace, the storm, and the trial. One of the interesting things about this account is we don't know if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were aware that God was with them or not. The king saw God's presence, but we don't know if they did or not. But either way, God was clearly present in the furnace. And there are times in life when we are aware of God's presence, and there are other times where we are not, or where he may even feel distant. But the promise is that he is there nonetheless. No matter how we may feel in the moment, God is with us if we are his followers. So when you're walking through difficult days, when you are discouraged, when things seem hopeless, when you feel all alone, know that if you are a follower of Jesus, then the God of the universe not only sees you and cares for you, but he is with you in the midst of the storm. Turn to him, recognize his presence, and lean into him, his peace, his goodness, and his truth. So furnaces are always an opportunity to shine in this world, and God is always present with us in the furnace if we are his followers. The third thing I want us to see is that not only does God use the furnace to allow us to shine, but he uses the furnace for our good even when we can't see it. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace, they are tied up, they are bound, they are unable to set themselves free. But when King Nebuchadnezzar looks, he sees them walking around. And when he calls them out of the furnace, they don't roll or or hop out in their bondage. But they walk out freely 
completely unbound from the bondage in which they entered. And so our third point is this. God uses the furnaces in our lives to free us from the bondage of lesser things. The furnace is rarely an enjoyable experience. But the furnace always leaves us changed people. And if we allow, it is the furnace that refines our faith, that draws us closer to God and to the things he desires. So often it is rock bottom that leads us to get help for an addiction. It's a health crisis that leads us to deeper faith. It's a, fin- it's a financial crisis in which God provides miraculously that leads us to be generous and cheerful givers. It's the pushback of our friend that forces us to evaluate what we really believe. It's when the relationship crumbles that we are left to evaluate where our identity truly rests. It's the firing at the job that humbles us and leads us to evaluate our pride and arrogance. It's the failure, the furnace, the trial that leads us to deeper faith in God. If you are a follower of God for any length of time, I would almost guarantee that you have a story from the furnace, from the storm. And it was in the storm, in the furnace, that your faith grew the most. On calm days, we grow complacent and comfortable. But in the furnace, our faith is tested and we are forced to grow. Uh, For me, there has been no uh, greater leap of faith in my life in the past five years of starting this church. It's been full of incredible days, but it has also been full of some of the darkest and hottest furnaces I've ever faced. We as a church and a family faced uh, financial uncertainty in the early days. We have faced health crisis after health crisis. We've faced uh, personal attacks. We've faced uncertainty like never before. We have faced floods, literally, and we have faced chaos. And in it all, God has been present, and he has provided as only he could. In the midst of those storms, we have seen God's miraculous provision, and we have seen his sustaining grace. God has used those storms, those furnaces, to uh, to refine my faith and our faith to a depth that I don't think was possible in comfort and without the furnace. And I know that's your story, too, if you're a follower of Jesus for any length of time. Proverbs 17.3 reads, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. We've seen this over and over in this series, but God's chief desire is our heart. He desires a heart that is surrendered to Him, that is pure over all things. And so often, like gold, it is the fire that refines our heart to be more like Him. In 1 Peter, Peter says it like this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Peter says, for the follower of Jesus, we have been given a new birth into a living hope through Jesus, and our reward, our inheritance is heaven, and it will never perish, spoil, or fade. If you are a follower of Jesus, your future, your eternity is secure. And it's with that perspective that we are able to rejoice in the midst of grief and trial here on earth. And it's those trials, those difficulties, those furnaces that Peter says refine us in our faith. 
It is also in the furnace that God prepares us for his future call or mission in our life. We mentioned this last week, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego first walked through a trial in chapter 1 when they stood up for God's way before the king when it came to their food. They saw God provide there, and it gave them the courage to trust God here in the furnace. Their faith grew in the trial, and they were strengthened for the next mission, the next furnace. And then we see in verse 30, when they walked from the furnace, Nebuchadnezzar promoted them within the kingdom. Because of their faith in the furnace, they were given more responsibility and a greater mission in which to shine for God. And you know that as leaders within the kingdom of Babylon, this wouldn't be the last time that they would be called to stand for their faith, to stand for truth. More fires were coming, but their faith in God's sustenance and past trials strengthened and prepared them for the trials to come. The same is true for us. It is so often our faith in the storm, our peace in the storm, God's grace in the storm that prepares us and opens the door for God's next call and purpose for our life. It is in the furnace that God prepares us and opens the door for future opportunities to shine. So the furnace is always for God's glory. God is always with us in the midst of the furnace. And it is the furnace that refines our hearts and makes us more like God. Our last point kind of brings us full circle to point one. But our last point is this. God uses faith in the furnace to reveal his goodness and to make himself known. Look at the change in Nebuchadnezzar when he sees the faith of these men and the goodness of God in the furnace. In verse 15, when Nebuchadnezzar called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said this. He said, but if you do not worship the statue, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What God can rescue you from my hand? Nebuchadnezzar believed that he was the most powerful being in the world. He believed that there was no one more powerful than him and his empire. The pride and arrogance oozed from his lips. But then read his response in verse 28 after the furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than, wor than worship or serve any god except their own god. And then he says, for no other god can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar's understanding and belief about who God is was challenged and changed by the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. So often our greatest witness, our greatest testimony to our family, to our neighbors, and to our friends is not our faith when things are easy, but it's our faith, our peace, our integrity, our character when the storms come. Anybody can be a good friend, a person of character, a person of faith when things are easy. But we see who people really are in the storms. We see who their true God is when the flames are high. When you can remain committed to God and his plans, when the flaming arrows comes, it points people to God, to the God who sustains even in the midst of attack. When you remain committed to truth over lies, when the trial comes at your work, it reveals your character, your integrity in a God that is worthy. When you proclaim the goodness of God and confidence in eternity as your health fails, it proclaims to the world a God who is greater and who has triumphed over death. Our faith in the furnace is often what God uses to shine his glory and proclaim his truth, his goodness, his peace, his salvation to the world around us. 
Because of the faith of these men, the king and the nation heard and they saw on display the one true God. And think about this. There are times in your life where your furnace, your trial is not so much about you as it is your friends, your family, your coworkers, your community, your church, your organization that will see your faith in the midst of the furnace. And they will see and know that your God is real. In many ways, the furnace was less about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and more about the king and the millions that were watching. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew God. But through their faith, the king and the millions watching got to see the one true God's power, goodness, and love on display. So maybe, just maybe, the storm you're walking through today isn't so much about you, but it's about God saving the souls of those watching you. It's about God saving the souls of those watching you walk through difficulty. And I'd say if that's the case, then it is worth it. Last thing, and this is where we'll end. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar now has had multiple encounters with God's people. And he has seen God's goodness and provision time and time again. Nebuchadnezzar seems to have great respect for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as he continues to promote them within his kingdom. They were all trusted leaders and advisors. So Nebuchadnezzar knows of God, but he is not yet a follower of God, as we'll see in Daniel chapter 4. So it's very important to note that we can know of God, but not know God. Intellectual knowledge of God, church attendance, is not enough to inherit God's forgiveness and eternal life. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life is found only in a relationship with Jesus in which we surrender our life, our will, our sins, and follow after him. So it is so important today for us all to pause and ask the question, do I know a lot about God? Have I tried to earn my way to God? Or have I surrendered my life and began a relationship with God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? Jesus in John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. It is in and through Jesus alone that we can know God, that we can experience forgiveness, that we can inherit eternal life with him. Jesus so loves you that he came and died the death your sins deserve. And he offers you his forgiveness, his righteousness, his life, if you only believe and turn and follow after him. Paul says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So today, do you know of God or do you know God? If you de- yet, don't yet know God, then I pray today is the day that you surrender your life and you place your faith in Jesus and truly know God. You can do that in your seat with a surrendered heart and a prayer as simple as, God, I know that I have sinned and done things that go against you. I know what I deserve is death and separation from you, but I also know that you love me, that you came to earth and lived the sinless life that I couldn't live. I know that you died the death that my sin deserved, and I know that you rose again three days later. Jesus, I believe that you are God, and you paid the price for my sin. So today, I surrender my life my future to follow you and to walk in your forgiveness and life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for your life. There's no magic words, but if you pray something like that with a surrendered heart, then the Bible says you will be forgiven. You will inherit eternal life and you will truly know God.
So if you today are ready to do that or have done that, please sell someone. If you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, please come and talk with me or someone you know and trust as a follower of Jesus. Melinda's going to come, and as she comes, I think there's a, a few different places that we can be uh, within this passage. Again, for some, we may need to, you may need to trust Jesus for the first time in your life. You may need to investigate who he is and ask questions and, to, and ask, do I know of God or do I know God? If that's you, I would encourage you to do that today, to boldly ask those questions or surrender your heart. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you might be here today and you are walking in the midst of the furnace. The storms have come and you don't know what to do or where to go. My encouragement for you today is just to remember that God is with you if you are his follower. Remember that he loves you even in the midst of the storm and the furnace. Remember that he is good and he wants what is best for you. Would you turn whatever you're walking through over to him and trust him in the midst of it? And then as you are in the furnace, would you allow God to use your furnace, your trial, your difficulty to proclaim his goodness and glory to those around you? Be aware that this furnace might not be all about you, but God is using it to proclaim his glory and goodness to those that you love. Would you allow God to use your life to shine even in the midst of the furnace? Then lastly, I would encourage you to reflect back on God's past goodness. Reflect back on his growth and his provision in those past furnaces and trials in your life. Give thanks for his presence. Give thanks for his goodness. Give thanks for his refining fire in your life. Maybe you need to go home and just make a list of those trials that you've walked through and make a list of how God was present, how he provided, and how he used the furnace to deepen your faith. I'm going to pray for us, and then after I pray, Melinda's going to play, and I just ask you to keep your head bowed and just continue to pray um, and talk with God. God, we thank you so much um, for your presence. We thank you that you are with us even on the darkest days. We thank you that you are with us as we walk through that darkest valley. We thank you that you are with us in the furnace. And God, we thank you that you use those dark valleys and those furnaces for your good, for our good, and for your glory. God, I pray that you would help us, even in the midst of the furnace, to see your provision and your goodness and to feel your presence. And God, I pray that you would allow us to use those furnaces and those trials to shine your goodness in your name to those around you, around us. God, I pray that you would use those furnaces to refine our faith. God, and you would use those furnaces so that many might come to know you. So, God, I pray that as we just spend a few moments reflecting, Lord, that you would reveal to us where it is that we need to trust you, that you would reveal to us where it is you are working. God, and you would give us the courage to repent and turn to you in any areas where we have walked away from you. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, you give them the courage, uh, that you give them the knowledge to know that they need to turn to you. You give them the courage to surrender their heart today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
you, Lord, we thank you uh, that you are worthy. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Uh, God, we thank you that you use all things uh, for our good and for your glory. God, I pray for your uh, just provision and your sustenance in the midst of the furnaces that we are all walking through. God, I, I pray that you would help us to just, again, know and to feel your presence as we walk through trial. God, I pray that we would turn to you no matter how dark, no matter how difficult the days are. And God, we pray that ultimately you would use it all for your glory and that you would shine and that many might find their hope and their joy and their peace and their eternity in you. God, we love you and we praise you in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, just a couple of announcements before we go. Uh, first of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the vicinity of you. Um, if you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the box on the back table, we would appreciate it. Uh, that's also where you can place your tithes and your offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, in terms of announcements, uh, generally we have small group that meets here at the church from 6 to 7 on Sunday nights, but there is no small group this week. Um, I'm heading out of town, and there's also a football game that most of you will probably be watching. So uh, there's no small group. We will be back again next week. Uh, and then there is kids and kids night and youth group that meets here at the church. Uh, on Wednesdays uh, from 6 to 7. We'd love for you to join us for that. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can see me or you can talk to Justin in the back uh, about youth group. Thank you so much for being here. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you again next week. Mm -hmm.